<laughs> Always be recording. I keep telling you this. <laughs> Depends how personal the stories are. Yeah, that first part. That's I true. So. Our, our warm-ups are not always for listener consumption. <laughs> That's right. So anyway, I put the ointment on the sore. And and, uh, and the seeping's mm-hmm. ended? Yeah, okay. except now my, my, my hand has all these sores on it. I, mm. where, where the hell did that come from? I don't know, but... Uh, Might want to have that looked at. Mm. I, but I promise I won't kiss your hand anymore. Okay. And that's that's solved. Damn. Did you send more incorrect messages this time to Kirsten instead of Barry? I'm sorry? Did you send oh, messages to the wrong person this, this again? Is, no. <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for opening up that open sore of a wound too. Incorrect messages to Kirsten instead of Barry? Yeah. You know, because the wife and the Barry text thing from last week. Right. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. He was comparing me to Deb. Well, that's actually flattering. Yes. Or, Jeff was or comparing Tara. you to Deb. Who's who's comparing me to what? <laughs> no. Um yeah. I got one of those. That was funny. Did you? Yeah, sh- shortly after Vernon got here, I got a... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got to Kirsten's, and I'll be on my way soon. You have a wonderful evening. Snooky, snooky, snooky. <laughs> and, and I responded something that I won't say on air. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah. I just call that Thursday. Yeah. So... <laughs> Good times. Welcome good times. to Geek Shock number 554. I am Master Toro. 80s Jeff. Commander K. And we are to talk week and geek. I want to know about this classic module that you went through you, for your D&D group. Kirsten, that we're doing. That you're, you're, you're still in the middle of it. Yes. Uh, the, t- the tomb of Tomawakan? Tomawakan, yeah. Okay. Tamawakan. It's T-A-M-A-O-C-H-A-N, punch Jeff. Yes, that's exactly how you spell it. Yeah, this is a recreation of an old module. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Okay, because I know there's 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 the varying kinds now. There's the ones that they've redone for fifth edition. That's in the official books, but they also have that now this line of really thick modules yes. that reprints the original module and then gives you a new updated version for fifth yes, edition I, with commentary. I in I uh, actually. Uh, indulged myself and got uh got one of those from goodman games it was called the lost city which is ah. an old original module i never had Aha. so that's why i did that but yes they do it's really neat because they do they reprint the whole original thing and then they give you a 5e version really really neat and they have all sorts of you know star developers and you know designers come in and 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 do essays one. and commentary yes and, mm-hmm. and they've got quite a few they've did i love isle of dread isle of they've dread did, uh, keep on the borderlands uh the uh the the, the classic uh, expedition to barrier peaks with the science fiction crossover so and i think they're doing well i think they're they're keeping up with those i'm i've I'm considering getting some of them just for nostalgia's sake. Oh my goodness! But uh, but I mean they're not cheap. They're they're, they're fifty no. bucks a pop. Yeah, and they're uh, they're yeah they come in hardcover. It's good quality book. Oh yeah. So so it's not like you're you're spending money on crap. Yeah, apparently there's there's obviously a lot of intellectual property that's getting satisfied there. 
So, and they do, I mean, they, they even print on nice paper for crying out loud. It's, it's a very nice, yeah, very it, nice it, it is a library piece. Yeah. And this Tumatomo Walk, and if I got interested in it after you said you guys were going to go through it. Mm-hmm. And so I went on to YouTube to the Uh-oh. various YouTube channels that review old modules Uh-oh. with new eyes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm excited for you in this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say much about it because I know spoilers on the module now. But yeah. Well, the last thing we did was really funny. We, uh, we made it to the temple. The temple is uh, at the height of the dungeon in our player uh, handout map. And, whoa, you all right there, Kit? Jeez, he, he's, like, twitchy. My goodness. Um, well, he wanted to rub his face against the uh, recording box again. Yeah. And uh, Todd distracted him for a second. <laughs> with, with some <laughs> sweet he, scritches. <laughs> then he lost track of where his feet were yes. in regards to the edge of the table. He almost went down. All right. So we're entering the temple complex when we get attacked by trapdoor spiders. And then uh, some Allosaurus come out of the jungle and come after us. So we're moving to get away from them and sort of position ourselves and fend off the Allosaurus eye. I don't know how you mean. That makes sense to me. And then the floor of the the temple collapses and some of us fall in a hole. Oh. And so like my character looking at a bunch of Allosauruses, big hole in the ground, bunch of, you know, bunch of us fell in. And he just grabbed the nearest mage and jumped in too. Because like, all right, let's just do this. And that turned out to be a smart thing move because that put us inside the dungeon getting ready to rock. Sure, so. sure. Smart move, guys. <laughs> Whatever you say. So. <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's fun because, yeah, like I said before, it is a classic. Uh, I don't own it and uh, I've never run it. Or do I own it? No, I don't think I do. Uh, I've never run it, I've never played it, but I've heard of it. So um, it's actually kind of fun. And uh, Elena's doing a bang-up job running us through it. So we keep surprising her. And sometimes roll 20 just works against her because we do our dice rolls in the in the uh, app. Oh, okay. And um, sometimes it works against her, and she just rolls crap, and so we just mow through her her, uh, her, her encounters NP- yes so she's she's trying to trying to keep up with us and and give us something to worry about and well i hope i hope this one does the, it was really funny because the two two uh sessions ago we had an encounter where we had to we had a timed encounter get to x in the city to open up this statue which would release wards which protect the city from demons that were attacking and we're in the midst of this attack. And we bull our way through this fiery city. We're encountering fire and we're jumping hither and yon and fighting off crap from all directions. And we get into the area where the statue is. And there's this big bad demon coming out of a hole in the universe. And he's just setting up to fuck us up. And here it is. And this is going to be our big bad fight. And then our cleric Thel casts banishment and banishes the demon away and then we just walk up to the statue and open it and everything's taken care of oh okay and, <laughs> and, and it was really it was just hilarious i i talk about thel just yawning and uh, ending our uh, big bad battle so that was fun <laughs> nice all right gentlemen let's open it up what geeky things you do this week guys i 
finished the rest of season two or season one of Cobra Kai and then binged all of season two. It's a good show. It's yeah. really good. I've started Cobra Kai, so I'm in uh, season one. Again, your mileage may vary based on how much you are familiar with the original. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've movie. also found there's a lot of people that never liked the original movie. So I that found is, that too. Yeah. So that definitely explains why a lot of people are kind of meh when it comes to this series. Oh, I get but it. Uh, I mean, it, it, they definitely do play to the nostalgia bone on a lot of people. But at the same time, they're treating the. I guess the the world that was established in the movie with kit gloves as well as expanding it and making it its own thing and just the it's, it's meant it's for good. people who yeah. like the movie it's, yeah it I really mean, is yeah it's if, not something that if you didn't like the first movie you're going to be able to jump in and just enjoy no. i just don't think that that would happen but uh, but then again if you didn't like karate kid why would you watch more so yeah it's, exactly yeah um but yeah, the the writing gets better. I I mean it it doesn't start off bad. And I, I know some people have a differing opinion on that, but it definitely gets stronger as the season goes on. And season two is just really good from the outset because it literally picks right up where season one left left off. And uh, and season one leaves off at a doozy. Yeah. Man, and it's it's um, it's uh, season two leaves off with a doozy. And that's all <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna. That's Zab- all I'm gonna say. Zabka is actually doing a pretty good job. I'm rather impressed with him. He's an I mean, interesting character because you can tell it, it honestly a lot of it is a lot of the theming that I'm noticing with the series is it's that whole nature versus nurture thing. It's like, you know, yes, this might be your nature, but if you were nurtured this way, how does it affect how you perceive the world and so forth and there are there are some things I take issue with cuz you know, there's that whole notion of you know, people people blaming someone else for their failures in life instead of looking in on yourselves like, this is what I've done. Now I need Jeff, to either Jeff, correct people or... People don't do that in real life. I know. That's, yeah. that's only well, in the not, movies. A lot of people do that whole introspective thing. But uh, it just is interesting. You have two characters predominantly that are trying to do the right thing with very very different approaches and uh <laughs> different results well J- johnny i mean i'm, I'm only going to speak to season one johnny johnny in season one really kind of is trying to do the right thing just in horrible ways through the majority of season one he just he just doesn't get it because of how he was reared and then he thinks well i'm not going to be like so and so and then he has notions of that that have been so deeply ingrained in him from his training that you know it's only through character interactions that he has with with the the rest of the the group that kind of make him realize that the path that he was on is not the one that he should choose i guess is the best way to put it so anyway i i really enjoyed it I'm definitely looking forward to season three, which apparently is done. It's in the can, all edited, ready to go. So it's a, it's a matter of you know whenever Netflix wants to put it up, and they haven't made any announcement yet. That I I, I looked today and there wasn't anything. So I wanted to get a little more Cobra Kai in my life, so I I watched the original Karate Kid. What? Yeah, for a while. <clears throat> it's been a while since I've seen it, and I wanted to watch it with the eye of that uh, YouTuber that made it famous that Johnny sure. is actually the good guy and right. LaRusso's the bad guy. Uh, no. 
I mean, <laughs> no, you you have to leave out pertinent information yes. to come to that conclusion. Because when it comes down to it, Johnny is the instigator in just He's, about everything. He is the aggressor. Now, that's not to say Daniel doesn't do his fair share of egging things on. When the better part of Valor might have been to just walk away and let it be, instead wants to try to prove that he's as tough as this guy that has had, you know, at this point we know that he's had at least eight years of training in karate and wants to try to, you know, Daniel's trying to show that he's a badass. He's had classes at the Y. He'll be fine. No, but what I'm saying is in the movie. Squash like grape. In the movie Karate Kid, he's trying to show that he's tough. Yes. To, to, with, a, without training to a guy that clearly no, could kick his ass. he had classes at the Y. He had <laughs> yeah. training. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, he was teaching himself from a book. Right, yeah. The there book. you go. It worked for Ray. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I do, yeah. The, the, the YouTube video makes some interesting speculation it, on that, you know. It does, but it... it it leaves out pertinent facts. It sounds, yeah, like, it sounds say, like that YouTuber is maybe a bit of an uh, asshole himself. <laughs> I mean... It's a cute take, but it's... It's one of those takes on, like, yeah. you know, the villain is the hero in his own story kind mm-hmm. of well, kind of concept. Everyone is, yeah. yeah. That's most of what I did this week, other than just uh, letting my ribs heal. <laughs> yes, very important. Yeah, we went easy on easy. the ribbing of Jeff. <laughs> so, yeah, ribbing of Jeff. Yeah. I've used that twice now. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, t- twice today. I I lost track of how many times yesterday. You know. oh, well. I uh, I actually watch. I started watching High Score, and immediately, the first thing that impressed me, and I wish they had gone into more technical detail. I guess they felt maybe they couldn't that people wouldn't understand. Is this these expansion plugins for? Missile Command and stuff. Yes. Oh yes. And it w- I was just like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't you're moving too fast. I want to know about this. How the hell does this work? Uh, and, I yeah. was, and I was actually really, uh, really interested and uh, impressed in that whole that whole thing. I think they didn't expand upon it too much because it didn't last that long. I maybe because, not because. But but what is fascinating instead of Atari just suing them into oblivion. They brought them on to develop for them. Well, that was a that was a funny part too. Their little bluff there. Yeah, I and wouldn't. Then, I wasn't expecting that yeah. in that episode. It's that like, was pretty ballsy. Hired? <laughs> but but you know the thing is is that uh, uh, that it was. It, I think that's smart on Atari's part, and it's. It, I think that reflects maybe maybe a change in uh, almost like corporate mentality. Oh, the, the corporate mentality is completely different today yeah. than it was 40 right, years ago. Right, because, you know, it's sort of like when uh, you guys, before we started recording, were talking about Cobra Kai and it moving from YouTube to Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, I wanted to actually at some point in a conversation make a joke. I remember the days when they canceled a, a show and then they totally suppressed it and didn't let it go anywhere right. or do anything afterwards. It was just dead and buried. And now it's like they cancel a show and somebody comes along. Hey, I'd like to buy that show. Most places now are like, oh, okay, let's talk. Might as well get some more money out of this. We're, we weren't going to. Yeah, yeah that, that is something that has occurred more and i will say the last 15 years yeah, than in the previous like say 30 oh yeah because it used to be written into the contracts when you would get when a, a tv series would get picked up that if it gets canceled you literally cannot go anywhere else yeah and now a lot of these 
productions have it written into their contract that if they are canceled, if there are no other avenues presented to them within that particular company, they're allowed now yeah. to shop it around and I'm to very other outlets. About that. I know yeah. that I know that there were very rare cases, and of course I can't think of any, but rare cases of moving networks in old school television. I'm talking the last one seventies or sixties. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you know, 60s, 70s, it was like once you were canceled, you, know, you were done. Yeah. You but, might get um, syndication you know. if you got... Because the, the rule of thumb in like the 60s, 70s, and even into the early 80s was you needed to produce at least 100 episodes before right. a series was uh, able to go into syndication. Right. Because that was a way for... That was really the way the studios made their money. Once they put it into syndication, this first run for them was not as much of a profit generator. But if they could put it into syndication, they would make massive amounts of money on especially something that they don't really have to pay the actors right, right. more than just the residuals. But yeah, when they hired him on, it was uh, or hired them on, I was mm -hmm. just like, that's that's really cool and very smart. And, and so I was impressed by that. But that expansion thing, that was just... Because you can't just... <clears throat> excuse me. You can't just solder... A couple of circuit boards together no, and then plug to, it in. Yeah, you got to dive into programming. The, yeah, you got to dive into the code. Yep, and it's just like, yeah, but how? How'd you guys? I mean, I know I, I don't understand this on a full technical level, but but d d dumb talk, dumb talk. Tell me, and they they didn't. I was like, ah, crap. <laughs> I'm I'm in the middle of reading uh, the complete history of video games, graphic novel. I can't remember who wrote it. When I'm all done, I'll I'll make note of it here. Uh, but it's been a really fascinating read. I'm 60 pages into it, and they're finally getting to Space War. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, the whole thing starts <clears throat> wow. telling about the war and how the war affected technology and what technology grew from what to yeah. know how those original computers yeah. were built and yeah. made and moving from vacuum tubes to transistors and who did that and why. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? Have and a big vacuum tube computer to play pong on, and the and the very first considered the first video game is Space War, and that was still in a large computer mainframe. Right, so you could only play it at like MIT. But there were a few beforehand, like there was a billiards. Uh, there was a game of that that they originally they started making games on these mainframes to quell the neighborhood. Because these large computers were basically used for military and atomic functions. And so communities around these big computers were really nervous, like what nuclear things are going on in these right. places. So they would make these video games, a video game tennis and a video game billiards, and invite the public to come in. And they would line up around the block to come in and play this for a few minutes. It, I mean, of course, very few people ever got to do it back then because you pretty much had to be a neighbor. Right. But that was the first time the public played a video game, and they loved it, and it and it worked on a, as a PR level. Talking to the opposite side of, of high score, uh, this almost goes into too deep of a dive oh, okay. in the history of video games. Because I think the whole thing is... The book is probably 150 pages, and I'm 60 pages in, and we're getting to Space War. So I'm like, all right, now we're at Space War. You, you, you got 
another 60 pages now, 70 pages, to tell the rest of the history of video games. So uh, good luck. What are you going to skip <laughs> over since you were so in- intense? Because this isn't like volume one. This is the only book. Right. So, but or I, maybe I they'll am surprise it. you with a, a volume two. Maybe they'll surprise yeah, right? you with it. This ends the first chapter of the history of video games. Dude, if it does that at the uh, IBM PC, I'll be very happy. <laughs> Which is funny, uh, the IBM PC, and uh, it was. I was thinking about it when Kirsten was talking about it in high school, the, the reverse engineering, the, the programming code to figure out how to make their expansion modules. It made me think of uh, Halt and Catch Fire, where they're re-engineering how to, or basically trying to reverse engineer the original IBM BIOS that allowed it to run various operating systems like DOS and and then having to create your own in such a way that it doesn't copy anything that IBM did, which, I mean, obviously in Halt and Catch Fire, it's a dramatized, dramatized version of what happened, but that was something that was going on in the, you know, the early or well, late 70s, early 80s, where they're t- trying to figure out, it's like, oh, how can we make a clone of this that we can make for cheaper and also run all these programs that people want to run on their IBM machines? Because that really was a time when IBM just thought they were, you know, too cool for school. Like, they're like, nobody is competition to us, so we can charge whatever we want for these computers. And now they don't even make home PCs anymore. Nope. That's how she changes. Nope. Although Apple, you know, they've, they've always been in it yeah. in one way or another. They finally achieved Steve Jobs' vision of the walled garden because that, that was apparently a point of contention with him and Wozniak in the early days of Apple was that Wozniak wanted this kind of open source. People contri- contribute to the design and then it improves the overall design. That was his vision for Apple, especially with the Apple II, well, the Apple I and Apple II. Jobs wanted to control everything because he wanted everything to work perfect the way that he wanted it to work all the time and just wanted people to understand that that was how they should think that that was what a computer was supposed to work like. So it was, you know, and that's not to say that Jobs was not an engineer of any talent. He did have some engineering and uh, programming talent, but he really was more of the brains or rather the the salesman behind the original days of Apple versus Wozniak was the brains behind it. You know, the one that really got down and dirty and built. Kind of like those Carmack designs. and Romero from id Software. Yeah. The guys who made Doom and Quake. Yep. Carmack was the deep numbers guy. Right. And Romero was the more uh, flamboyant salesman, although very much a programmer and very much why it looks the way it does. He's kind of the art guy, Carmack the numbers guy. It was kind of interesting, too, because there was a book I was reading on Steve Jobs talking about his later years at Apple and where it was he really got to the point where he was just like, this is what I want. Make it happen for me. And instead of getting down in the trenches, like when he was when they were developing the Lisa, which is what eventually moved into the the Macintosh, he was in the lab helping with engineering and, and programming, even though he wasn't the primary programmer. But yeah, apparently later on in Apple, he just literally was like, this is what I want. And then they would bring him ideas. He's like, yes, 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 no, 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 yes, no, go from there. And then they would just continue to bring it. So kind of shows his evolution of a CEO of a company. Sure. So, I should say after he came back, after starting Next Computers. But So you think of Jobs as Apple now, you think of Wozniak as uh, Linux. Yeah, kind of, although yeah. Wozniak is so deep 
involved with Apple now anyway. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have any active role other than kind of more of like a, I guess it's more like a PR thing where he's like, they give him stuff. He's like, this is the new thing we have. He's like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> I want that job. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> this is cool. Oh, wait, we kind of had that job. We, it was called the Ugly Couch Show. <laughs> yep. I started Raised by Wolves. That's the mm. new HBO Max show? Right. Yeah. The Ridley Scott thing, uh, science fiction-y thing. How far are you in so far? It was a three-episode premiere, and I did two episodes. What do you think? It's, it's very Ridley Scott in terms of a very slow start. Okay, I was going to say, is it living up to the hype so far? It's interesting. The world is interesting, and it's slowly getting there. Okay. So uh, what they did in uh, towards the middle of episode two is introduce a couple twists that that make things a little more complicated than you would think. Okay. So, but Ridley yeah. Scott style twists, not not Shyamalan style twists. Um, um eh, sorta, okay. basically sorta. But it was just it was enough to be like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I wonder what they're doing there. So, um, and it was really funny because I recognized Travis Fennell. He's from Vikings. Mm-hmm. But and he's in this now, but I didn't know it was him. I'm like, who the hell is that? I can't remember who the hell is. And uh, it wasn't until I saw the credits that I'm like, oh, so it's interesting. Cool. It is interesting. I, you know, I'm, I'm still sticking with it to see uh, how far I'll go. But it is interesting because the trailer made it look fantastic. But at the same time, knowing Ridley Scott, it can be either slow burn fantastic yeah. and then fizzle out or it can well, be slow burn and move to an explosion kind of right, Ridley Scott. Right. You, just, you never really know with him. Right. And it really it also starts from a weird point too because it, it does a definite religion versus atheism take. Right. Yeah, I, I was catching some of that vibe. In very, the very heavy. So. In fact, it seemed a little heavy-handed in the it, in the trailer. I don't it, know how it translates it, in the episode. I'll I'll go I'll I'll go this far uh, for its favor. It's very heavy-handed, but it is actually even-handed. Okay. So it's like, yeah, I won't go any further than that. Okay. Or I want to. Yeah, they but, they haven't released it all at once. They're putting out. They're they're the doing bits Ugh, and pieces. Okay. HBO HBO Max did. Ain't liking. That's fine. I'll get to it eventually. I'm still yeah. working my way through uh, Lovecraft Country. So. Right. I still got to continue with that. I haven't. Uh, I haven't continued with that yet. I've got more and more and more and more to just an HBO Max. I still have to uh, watch Westworld season two for crying out loud. Oh shit! So do I. I forget that. I forgot that existed. Yeah, I know. It, remember wow. uh, a few years ago when Westworld was the the shit? It's like holy crap, HBO. My goodness. And now it's like, West what? <laughs> <laughs> There's just so much. Yeah. And it keeps coming. Yeah, so. <laughs> uh, I played a, a Warhammer video game uh, this week that I've what? heard about, never played it, and uh, was not exactly happy with my experience. Uh, Warhammer Vermintide 2. It's based in the fantasy realm of it. Based before they created the new Sigmar uh, age of Sigmar the the issue is it's not a bad game the issue is it's a live service game the thing that I was Mm. uh, ranting about a few episodes ago right of by the time I was doing the same quest a third time I'm like all right I'm done 
It's mm. it's it's one of those games that the whole whole point of the game is to increase your numbers and just keep doing that. It's it's build your numbers game. You you play through a game, you get some loot. That loot is better than the last loot. You equip that loot. You go back out and play the game again. You get new loot. It's better than the old loot. And then add infinitum. Repeat. It's it's oh. it's grind the game. Oh well. Yeah. You just sold me. Yeah, I know that. That's that's the magic word for you. <laughs> and 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 it start like all live service games I've played. Uh, Destiny Anthem. It starts out fun. And, but then eventually you just go, oh, I got to do this again we're against these same people. I know where all the things are. It's, it's nothing's a surprise. Uh, it's just a matter of I'm going through this to level up my character and give them better loot. It's what Diablo eventually became. Right. Uh, it, whereas I, I started playing Diablo 3 last night. and I was like, you know, I've never tried that uh, that seasonal thing. And so I started playing it and I'm like... I, I, I'm just, it's not a challenge and I'm just way laying waste to a bunch of enemies and it, it's like bad gauntlet. I, I think the thing Ooh. that really started to really bother me in playing uh, Diablo 3 was I'd chosen the Necromancer because, of yeah. course, and, and I started off with my weapon and the moment I leveled up, I was no longer allowed to use that weapon ever again or any weapon I ever found. There was no button to just use the weapon because everything is attached to all of your spells. Right. So you can use the weapon at the beginning because you only have one spell, so the other button is to use your weapon. But the moment you gain that second or third level and gain that new spell, it replaces the use of that weapon. So I'm like, why pick up a weapon except to... Add numbers to your dude of an intelligence because the more intelligence you do, the more damage you do right. until you find the next thing that gives you more intelligence, give you more damage, and you're just playing the numbers game over and over again. It's beautiful. Right. The creature design's amazing. The level design's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it randomizes roguelike in that regard. Uh, but, man, it's I, I never felt so pointless in playing a game. And, and that's what it's been with these live service games. Now, uh, the new Avengers game is headed my way, according to Gamefly. Uh, that just came out this week. Uh, apparently, Avengers is also a live service game. When it comes down to it, there's like a 12-hour solo game, which I, which I understand is really fun. Uh, but after you do that solo game, the rest of the game opens up, and then you're fighting the same 10 different kinds of robots over and over again, gaining loot, increasing your numbers, and so on and so on. So it's a matter of how fun can they make that That's interesting. as you go on. Because if you have a solo experience uh, that is so many hours and, it, and it's crafted to create that experience, I am all for it because you feel like you're involved in something that is moving a story along that you have a reason to be doing something uh the 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 issue that i have with this life service is that once that story is over and then the real game begins according to these life service things at that point everything feels pointless except to add numbers to your dude mm-hmm. and I, I want more of a reason to play the game than add numbers to your dude mm. so hmm I had, you mentioned Diablo. I had stumbled across, I think, on YouTube an interview with a Diablo developer 
talking about the initial decision to go from turn-based combat to real-time, I guess it is. Sure. Whatever you fucking call it. And uh, it was really, really interesting to, uh, to hear, that, hear that conversation in terms of game development, game design, and stuff like that. So that was actually the reason why I was interested in uh, watching High Score. Because I almost wonder if that was an excerpt from High Score, and eventually I'll see that interview as I watch more. But um, it, was, uh, it was interesting. Yeah. Diablo was a big game changer because all the RPGs up to that point, computer RPGs, uh, were of these semi-real-time, where you could pause the game, give everybody their orders, and then unpause the game, and everybody would go do what you told them to do. Then you pause it again if you wanted to change something. So it was kind of a tactical real-time that could be paused. We're talking your Baldur's Gates, your Icewind Dales, Temple of Elemental Evil, uh, all of the D&D games of the late 90s, early aughts, uh, Planescape. Uh, but then Diablo comes along and makes that, it basically creates the action role player. It's kind of the first of its kind since Gauntlet. And then it had that whole loot thing. And I really liked Diablo 1. I loved Diablo 2. When Diablo 3 first came out, I really liked it too. Uh, but then they started fiddling with things a little more. And now it's just become that, that grind, that number grind. So, but we'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll play Avengers this week and I'll, I'll give it a, uh, That'll be I'll give it a go. Avengers might be something that I would actually eventually be interested in trying. Just I hear the uh, Kamala Khan character is especially uh, endearing in that. So mm-hmm. I look forward to seeing her in video game form. But uh, but yeah, so I'll 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 do that this week and get back to you. Very cool. Anything else, gentlemen? Jeff, uh, I'm sure there's something that's just not popping into my mind. There's always something. There is always something. Oh, I did finally watch uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Ah, ah. Uh, that was uh, that was enjoyable, wasn't it? Uh, that uh, a treat through and through. As as one as you guys mentioned about it before. The, the history of Hollywood, that, yes. that kind of end of the golden era kind of thing, uh, to the that moment of moving to the modern era. Uh, I, I do, though, I, I want there to be basically every historical f- film ever done. I want Leonardo DiCaprio in the last quarter of it to completely change history in every movie <laughs> right? going forward, whether it's Dunkirk, whether it's uh, Saving Private Ryan, sure. uh, whatever is milk, it uh, doesn't matter. <laughs> Bring that character in to completely change history. I do like Because it. that was just enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, Inglorious Bastards was the first one that he did that started that kind of, this is an alternate history. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, because, you know, we've talked about it on here before, but it bears repeating. Like, I literally, I mean, I, I told those guys when we were in the theater, uh, Kirsten and Biggs were with me. And we went, we all went and saw it together. But I, I was, I was literally having anxiety up to the point where. Very tense. You, you think, you know, the, 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 you know, Tarantino history, is going to do this? Because oh it didn't seem like he was going to stop. Like, I, I thought, oh, maybe he's going to cut the movie at a certain point, and we just go, okay, well, we know what happens the rest of history, and it's tragic. And Yeah, it, he's ramping that tension up, making you fall in love with yeah. Sharon Tate. And, yeah, and, and 
and went in a completely different direction. And I, I just, I think I laughed out loud in the theater when, when the first of the changes happened, and just, just like, Fah! But uh, yeah, that was it. Was such a treat that whole movie. Uh, and we, as we mentioned before, you know, the style that they used in shooting it, and attention to detail and recreating classic late '60s Hollywood when you're trying to do that it's it's difficult to do nowadays because as much as hollywood hasn't really changed in the last 50 years there's a lot that has oh, and yeah. then so you're trying me. to hollywood's changed a lot in the last 50 years well i mean but there are there are certain parts of it that haven't changed at all you know they've been modernized sure, to an the extent streets, the streets are the same name well i'm talking like architecturally there are certain areas where Buildings are the same buildings that have been there forever, but then all of a sudden, one of those buildings gets torn down, and there's a new one pop up in its place. So you have to film around that when you're trying to match. Oh, gotcha! Classic, yeah. uh, you know, classic Hollywood look. So, but yeah, that I'm, I'm glad you finally got to see it because that Super really was one of yeah. those movies that you know I was liking, and uh, and especially it's it's interesting now. Um, I just watched this uh, documentary on uh, Charles Manson. Called, uh, they called it Helter Skelter, and kind of they delve deep into how he got to be where he was, and you know the things that he experienced that kind of turned him into the person he was. And you look at that, and you look at those murders that happened, and you're just like, wow, that's that's a really deep dive into just the the twistedness of this guy's thought processes. So, anyway. Yeah, research was done and done well. Yes, absolutely. No doubt about it. One of the interesting things also about Manson and all that is the fact that he was looking to he was looking to start a race war. Yes, that's the whole point of it. You think about today and like the Boogaloo conversations and so on today, and it's like, Jesus Christ, we're it's a bunch of Manson families out there. We're 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 still working through yes. basic fights that had uh, evolved in the '60s and '70s. You know, like what you say, Jeff, about the whole Nixon playbook being used. Yeah. It's just it's just like we are kind of replaying the late '60s right now in that oh regard. God Almighty! It's just like oh, for fuck's sake! It's folks. like the yeah the, the the techniques are the same, and all they do is change a little bit of the language because yeah, you talk about the Nixon playbook and and you know the whole you know stirring up fear and anger, and it's like all they do is change one or two words in the original sentence of that that old Nixon playbook or, or the the. Oh, I forget the guy's name that wrote that. You know the, you know, these are the steps that you take in order to counter a conversation, in order to turn it to your advantage. And it's like when if they say this, you say this, or you say this, and then if they reply this, then you say this. And like I said, all they did is swap out one of those words or subjects in that same structure, and it's everything that's going on today. It's it's really kind of fascinating. Yeah, and it's Roger, fascinating Roger how many Ailes a big part of that. Yes, yeah. and it really is fascinating how pe- many people still buy into it, and it attacks their critical thinking to the point where they stop analyzing the actual things that they're telling other people, and just essentially repeating it. Versus, wait a minute, why am I saying this, and do I actually believe it, or have I just heard it so many times that it's now ingrained into my psyche to the point where I'm repeating it reflexively, and not necessarily 
understanding what I'm saying or believing what I'm saying. It's, it's really fascinating. <clears throat> and part of the uh, ugly genius of that is they turn that very point around. Yes. So it's like when they sit there and they attack reality and fact and people are saying, no, this is, this is reality and fact, they will go, oh, look at the poor people who can't shake their faith in their beliefs to actually, you know, change in wake, the face of something different. Wake up, sheeple. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a boat parade on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. well, that's... Well, we probably don't want to talk about it. <laughs> 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 oh, my goodness. Anything else you do this week, guys? Really can't. I, I swear there it's is. Right. I just can't think of anything. I made a meme and nobody understood it. <laughs> I didn't understand it. <laughs> you didn't? No. Oh. I'm like, I'm just going to let this pass because this is obviously something I'm just not getting. What? Oh, man. Come on. <laughs> it's, it's, it's years ago. Okay. Uh, when Kanye West was actually feuding with a rapper, uh, Amber Rose, who was dating that rapper, took a pot shot at West and referred to their old dating life by mentioning no more ass play for you. And Kanye actually being Kanye can't just go on with life. He actually, uh, you know, had to like, he would do concerts and publicly state Amber Rose never put any finger up my ass. So I did a meme when it comes to Kanye running for president. Amber Rose gives him a big thumbs up. Uh, this is the first I'm learning about anything. And nobody, nobody well, it's, got it. It's one of those things that it's it was in <laughs> in such a short news cycle that and and it was several years ago that I had forgotten completely about it. It sounds like something you need to watch TMZ for. <laughs> Well, oh, TMZ. I'll, I'll put it on my CV when I submit. <laughs> I had to explain to somebody what that actually means and why it's important. That to is Hollywood. interesting. The whole thirty-mile zone. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. Yes, and uh, if anybody is interested, it's it's a, the simplest term of what TMZ really means and why it was adopted as a name for a blog about Hollywood is back in the early days of television and film. A lot of the studios develop what they call the 30-mile zone, which is to state that with if any location that want they want to do shooting on is within this 30-mile area, they only have to pay the standard rate for all the actors, crew, etc. If it's outside of that zone, they have to pay them uh, it's like one and a half times their going rate, something like that. So that's why... So much of television and movies that you watch, a lot of the locations where they shoot are the exact same ones. Like Vasquez Rocks is within that 30-mile zone. So that is an area that is frequently used in television. and not Because for a long time, it seemed like it just popped up in sci-fi and fantasy. But now it's in everything. If people are going on a hike, you see the Vasquez Rocks in the background. So what does so, TMZ actually stand for then? 30-mile zone. 30-mile zone. Okay. So, but because that became that TV militarized, zone. that was such a part of with people that were in the business of Hollywood. I guess they use the word, they, you know, the acronym TMZ so often. It's like, oh, we got to put make sure that's within the TMZ and blah, blah blah. So it was such a part of that language, especially for like the executives and so forth. They thought it would be a cute name to make a blog about Hollywood and celebrities and so forth. So. 
now I see the thing behind it. And that's, yeah. I hope, the last time we ever really have to talk about TMZ on the show ever again. So, Well, but I mean, it's, it's funny to me because when I hear it, I think of the classic production limit. I don't think of it as the Sure, when I think of it, I think, oh, blog. shit, turn the channel. Yeah. So it, it's it, it that took, show. Sure. It's, like, think it's when the it, gossip show. When, when people first, hear BLM, they think grazing rights. <laughs> In fact, when it first... You know, okay, okay, I just got to... <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I haven't talked about Minecraft in a while. I haven't played Minecraft oh, in a while. Mm-hmm. I have to get back to it very, very soon. But yeah, you, you have a, an unresponded video from Barry and Deb. Yes, they posted mm-hmm. it just a few days ago. And so, uh, yeah, I, I need to... See, that's the thing. When I know something like that has happened, I uh-huh. can't just go on and play and do mm-hmm. Minecrafty things. I have to say, okay, when I go in, I have to be ready to film and that's that's its own oh, no. set of circumstances. No, it's become work. So oh. so so yeah. So when I know that's there, I'm like, okay, I have to make sure that cameras are ready to roll. Which is funny because I know when you post your videos, you usually show the payoff of what you did, and then wait a few days to post it so that Barry discovers it before you post it. Right. But they left it completely open ended where we we did not get to see anything and he put it on you to post what he did he, exactly he, he and Deb did. I have some responsibility now. Yeah. So I want to make sure I I I wield that with the shitty finger care Barry deserves. Um <laughs> but of course in the Hobbiton uh, the central area of the town that we have built mm-hmm. in Minecraft uh they have built because I ain't built shit. The uh well, you're a wanted man for apparently. Right. Yeah, I, I got yeah, sons of bitches. Anyway, <laughs> there's wanted posters for him everywhere. In yes, now. I mean, been on it. I already know that. Jesus Christ, I'm looking at you, Microscope. Anyway, the central place where you pay for your land to build on is, of course, the Bureau of Land Management. So, of course, the place is just entitled BLM, and so that's. I, I can't think of anything else now when I go in there, and I'm thinking of putting up picket signs and just, but I, but but I don't because I'm respectful to the cause. Uh, yeah, I know it's funny too because a friend of mine, his dad worked for the Bureau of Land Management for a lot of years. So now every time I have to, I have to stop and think, okay, that has more than one meaning, and this is how it is being used. So it's all about context, context, <laughs> people, context. But uh, yeah. It's all about the thirty mile zone. When people <laughs> reuse acronyms, it's tough to tough to separate it sometimes without knowing what they're referencing. Yeah. Like the WWF. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is still funny because it was it was always World Wrestling Federation when I was a kid. And I didn't even know about the World Wildlife Fund until I was like in high school. <laughs> But apparently predated the WWE now by what twenty years or something like that. You want to go? Want want to go off on another tangent? No. There's a stupid. (laughs) There's a stupid little thing called the World Wildlife Union. Okay. And they they apparently like they're like PETA radical. Oh, okay. Because a friend of mine, conservative friend of mine, goes fuck this. And he posted a link to a blog post <clears throat> on this website, which apparently this World Wildlife Union's been around for a while, but they haven't done a lot of blogging or anything. But this idiot posts pet dogs are essentially a cultural appropriation. 
that Europeans took from Asians uh, like 13,000 years ago. And therefore, if you're a white person and you keep a pet dog, you're, you're actually engaging in racism. And I was just reading this like, this guy is off his fucking rocker. But my conservative friend is ranting, just let them try to take my dog from me. And it's like, no, no, one, no, one no can, one's coming for your dog. I always, <laughs> I'm, what I'm, the I'm, fuck? I'm always fascinated with how people come up with these stories about how something is what they think it is when there's verifiable scientific evidence to, see, to, to prove that their very statement is incorrect. Like, no, it's not a cultural appropriation, and Asians weren't even the first to domesticate the dog. That was done far, far earlier than that. I mean, we're talking, I don't want to get into the scientific <laughs> term, but the cavemen domesticated mm, right. wolves in order to, and it wasn't so much, it became more of a... Oh, so you're saying it's cultural appropriation from the Neanderthal. Yeah. Okay. There you go. From wolves. Oh, See, and we're right back to Raised by Wolves. There you See, go. that's how we get back there on track. Go. That's how we exactly. get back on track. This is, this is, this is my stuff. job. This is my goddamn job. Yeah. But it, it, was, just, it was just like his rage. Because, you know, you just read the article and you're like, oh, brother. But his rage, I was just like, dude, for fuck's sake. I want to take <laughs> that, uh, that old The More You Know from uh, the old NBC, I think it was, had the... Mm-hmm. And just make, make it, the less you know, yeah, really. For every time somebody makes bum, up one, bum, it makes bum, up one bum. of these stories and puts it on, and they're like, oh, "You know nothing of history, the problem, or, or science." The problem is that sometimes anger feels good and can be addicting to some people. Oh, oh fuck yeah. you, Todd! See, there it is. <laughs> I, I, I foster the language of hate at the stage, <laughs> which is also scientifically verifiable. Thank you. Some people feed off. Oh, I am, I am and, here. Yeah. Oh, fuck you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> See? We already feel better. <laughs> Let's do some news you don't give a shit about. Woo. Wait, what? <laughs> hey, yeah. Wait, what? Uh, EA has reversed a decision to run in-game advertisements in UFC 4 after a fan backlash flooded the company's social media channels. Less than one month after release of UFC 4, a premium game with a $60 price tag, real advertisements were added throughout the game. The ads appeared frequently between rounds, immediately prior to instant replays, and as combat starts up. Uh, Reddit user Yedino, I don't know, Reddit usernames are weird, posted a short video showing the offending ads featuring the upcoming season for The Boys on Amazon. Uh, Freemium games often feature ads as part of a game's monetization structure, but seeing it in full-price AAA games pushes consumers to the limit of reasonable expectations. The timing of the addition of ads to the game is also highly suspect. When the game launched on August 14th, reviewers would have been playing a game free of ads, and their resulting scores influenced consumers in their decisions to purchase or avoid the game. If you purchase UFC 4 based on a review only to now have ads forced into your game later on, your ire is justified. The writing has been on the wall for some time that EA would pursue ads in their AAA games. The Wall Street Journal reported in July that AT&T WarnerMedia tested three ads in UFC 3, a game also made by UA. Uh, UA, EA, Jesus Christ. Get, get BLM, people. <laughs> 
in that test, players could skip video ads or watch them in exchange for in-game benefits like free mobile to mobile free to play games. In the end, the issue was not simply that EA had put advertisements into its premium game, but rather the deceptive timing of doing so weeks after launch, locking consumers into a product that may no longer be suitable to their tastes. A similar move was done with Crash Team Racing Nitro-Fueled, but instead of ads, microtransactions were added into the game around a month after launch, again securing positive reviews before changing the fundamental part of the user experience. Uh, this is from uh, EA statement, quote, Earlier this week, the team turned on ad placements on EA Sports UFC 4 that appeared during the replay moments in gameplay, EA said in a press statement. It's abundantly clear from your feedback that integrating ads into the replay and overlay experience is not welcome. The advertisers advertisements have been disabled by the team, and we apologize for any disruption to gameplay that players may have experienced. <laughs> we realize that this should have been communicated with players ahead of time, and that's on us. We want to make sure our players have the best possible experience playing EA Sports UFC 4, so ad integration in the replay and overlay experience will not be reappearing in the future. Thank you for your continued feedback on EA Sports UFC 4, unquote. Uh, good on you, gamers, for keeping them to task. Cause, and yeah, because this is not the first time I, even EA has done this. No, no. Tri uh, AAA games have been trying so hard and successfully in some ways yes. on taking the games that are free to play and what makes yes. them free to play are the ads. It's just what you get. For getting the free game, you agree that you're going to do deal with the ads or right. whatever roadblocks are in there or whatever grindy things they add to slow you down in order to make their money Yes. From those willing to pay it. To take those elements and put it in a $60 game yeah. is absolutely bullshit. Well, but again, this is not the first time no. this has been done in AAA. I mean, uh, wasn't it uh, GTA um, 4 where the as you're running down the street, the billboards are all advertisement for real-world products? Sure. And they took in a lot of money from those advertisers to do that? Because I also remember... Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Rainbow Six Vegas um, had oh, that same kind right. of thing where it was just, you know, ads for movies that were out at the time. Axe Body Spray was in that yeah. shit. But it, at least that's just stuff that's there. You're the, right. The, 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 the watching an ad, like, interrupts your play experience. Yeah, you're right. There, There is a difference because when you're dealing with, like, billboards and so sure. on, whether you're going to write fake billboards or sell real ones, it's right. still a billboard and an environment yeah. that would have those. Uh, just like the the ads in Rainbow Six Vegas were all things on, like, bus kiosks. Yeah, and, which I think is a neat idea, right, actually, frankly. Yeah, it adds, it adds to the immersion without taking away from the gameplay. But to interrupt a game with ads... Is they ugly, yeah. and and it was during the replays. Yes. So apparently, maybe the logic was: well, they're not playing; they're watching. So we're not interrupting their play. So this is okay. And it's like the, the logic is: where can we fit more ways to make money in this? Thing? Yeah. Well, yeah. well, well, of course. That's, yeah, and unfortunately, that's the way the game industry's been going for a while. It's they they want to squeeze as much money out of these video games as they possibly can. Well, yeah. Not to improve the games or make more money so that they can make better games, but so that that money can go right up to the top to people that don't need it and then keep firing and cutting staff 
and, yeah. and, and underpaying staff, staff that can't even afford to live near the places they work. And that's why so many of these games are starting to move toward this live service yeah. aspect. It's so that they can sell you things longer in the game, keep keep you playing the game longer, and sell you things on top of what you've already bought. Yeah, and, and with the new round of what they're calling next-gen games, which some of them are essentially just the same game enhanced with better visuals for the next gen consoles, you know, they're going to start charging 69.99. You know what? For certain titles, not all of them, but right, it, right now they're going to quote test it out to see like, That doesn't bother me as much. Uh just on the fact that the price of games really hasn't changed in the last 20 years. They it's sure. been 50 to 60 dollars in that time. And the price of development it, one of the reasons we are seeing some of this stuff is because these games are that I'm not going to say they're that cheap, but they have not changed in their price. But now that these other stuff has been added, these, these freemium, I guess is uh, as a, well, but what I'm getting at is that the profits are continuing to rise from these games, even at the $60 price point. Yes. Because There's they've not added really... things to do it. A yeah. lot of cosmetic stuff, uh, multiple currencies, that sort of thing where you have the currency you can earn in game, which allows for slow progress, or you can buy the fast currency, which yeah. gets to fast progress. My my point though that I was trying to make is that they're they have not presented us anything that justifies their move to this higher price point because they're not really giving us anything extra. They're not putting more time and effort into these games because they're still putting these microtransactions in. They're still putting all these advertisements in. They're still doing all these things that are generating large sums of money outside of the initial purchase price of the game. Yeah, they make a small profit off the initial launch of the game, but they make a massive amount of profit on that game after it's launched with all of these other things that are built into it. Certainly. So unless you're going to start taking out some of those other revenue streams to justify your $10 per title price increase, you're not really justifying right. your... Right, it's not going to happen. I'd appreciate yeah. it too, no. but it's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, although I will say that as far as just inflation on the fact of that, because again, games have remained the same price for 20 years. Uh, yeah. lo even longer if you think about it. Well, they, they started at around 49 and then moved up to 59 now they're moving up to 69 cuz even back in uh, the early Xbox days a lot of those games were 49 okay and that's that's only 19 years ago i mean can you think about it the original Xbox launched 19 years ago sure well well it comes down to what will the market bear yeah exactly will are people willing to pay $70 then they will charge $70 i don't know I, my my whole love of video games has been tapered a lot lately just cuz all this other crap that they want to keep adding into the games that has nothing to do with the gameplay. Oh, sure. Plus the, you know, all the stuff that keeps coming about how the people that actually create the games are treated. Yeah. That needs to change. I mean, that's, you know, and, and, and even when the, the, the companies say they're going to quote address the, you know, the sexism, the, you know, the bullying, the, you know, the, inadequate pay rates and stuff they don't they still haven't made any changes in the last five years game developers need to unionize period yeah you should I, have should have a long time ago yeah i you know i'm starting to agree with that because that's nothing is changing people are still treated like garbage they're, they're treated no, as disposable there's no reason to expect your worker to work 70 hours a week crunch time or no 
and and still working seven hours a week and not being able to afford to live anywhere near where they work, let alone afford money, to, uh, you know, be able to afford to buy lunch at the company cafeteria. The stuff like that is just disgusting. Yeah. People are going without food in order to meet deadlines. They're going without basic necessities to meet these unrealistic expectations that are placed upon them. Yeah. Yeah, that needs to change, but unfortunately, that needs to change within. And if they're not going to yeah. do it, then it's not going to happen. Well, and then the, you know the in- increased. Some say, well, it's only increased because it's being reported more often. I, I, I'm wondering if it's not just increasing because they haven't made any changes, but the sexual harassment. Oh yeah, that has has increased a lot within these game companies. Has it's it's a lot of times it's just soured me, and I don't want to play a game if it's made by this company because of their history of treating employees male, female, or otherwise. So I it's just, it. yeah. It's like, why do I want to give them my money? Because it's not going to the people that deserve it. Sure. As they say, vote with your dollars, right? Yep, exactly. Let's do some. I'll, well, yeah, go ahead. You say, go ahead. <laughs> I was just say, I'll get off my soapbox no, now. No, <laughs> no. I like your soapbox. It's, it smells like soap. Actually, actually, Todd. Uh, yes. <clears throat> this just in. Uh-oh. I thought that was Biggs that I. <clears throat> yeah. Biggs uh, sent me a text. Re, last week's episode. Uh-oh. It's Uh-oh. pronounced denouement, but that last syllable is nasalized. So I guess it's denouement. I was always taught denouement. No. Moi. No. No? Denouement. It's French. M-E-N-T. It's mon. Denouement. I, I just want to start for a second that he had something to say about one thing about pronunciation in the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I used to have an English teacher who used to say denouement. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Denouement. Denouement. See, I'm not that bad. No. Uh, by the wood, though, <laughs> is, is, a, is a, a, a straightforward, proper. By the wood, Bithwood, Bithwood, by the wood. You know, know. Uh, now that you mentioned that, there was a uh, there was a Bythewood in a one of the documentaries I was re- watching recently, and I could not stop snickering <laughs> because I kept thinking of you going by the wood. And I was like, "What? The, it was the, one of my by, the, by the what? <laughs> you know what? It it, it it would be really fun is to just be a fly in the wall and watch Jeff alone in his home, <laughs> watching these things, sitting there going. <laughs> 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 Laughing in a documentary yes. talking about like mass <laughs> uh, mass murder or something. You look around the room and you're like, hmm, there's there's no one else there. But by, yeah. By the wood land management. <laughs> did I say weekend geek? Uh-huh. Okay, why did this even happen? Who said what? I think I think it was wasn't it Jeff? I don't know. Uh, I not no, because no? I never brought it up. All right. I don't even know what you were talking about here. But somebody said you kept mentioning Dana Ma last week in something you were talking about. Did I, I remember that part. <laughs> yeah, uh, I appreciate it. I guess Biggs, I thank know. you for. But how did in. you mispronounce it? I keep telling you, I only remember about half of what we talk about after we're done recording. Boy, well, that's <laughs> and that's usually within half an hour after we're done. If I didn't say it already, we can geek. It's Woo-hoo. pronounced. Wack and geek. Wack and geek. Wack and geek. What's happened? Uh, not a whole lot of new news this week, but gosh darn it, we still got news to cover. <laughs> uh, but Marvi- Marvel's Cindy Moon 
aka Silk, is getting a TV show from Sony. Boone or Booney? Sorry? Boone? What? what? Uh, how's that Boone pronounced? Boone? Boone? Cindy Moon. Moon? Yeah, Cindy Moon. Oh, you said Boone. He said Boone. I, I'd stop paying attention. <laughs> He heard Marvel and tuned right out. <laughs> no, I I heard Marvel and I was waiting waiting for the rest of the story because knowing given his history of producing uh, pronouncing people's names, I just skip over that. Oh. If I don't if I don't know the name already, oh. I just wait for the meat of the article. All right, Marvel's got to trim the fat off. Cindy Moon 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 Moon, aka Silk, is getting a TV show from Sony. The studio is working on a live-action series based on the Spider-Verse character created by Dan Slott and artist Umberto Ramos. Uh-huh. Lauren Moon, who did uh, Good Trouble and Atypical, is currently in negotiations to write the project. So, yes, same last name. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse writer-producer Phil Lord, Chris Miller are attached as executive producers alongside former Sony executive and Spidey veteran Amy Pascal. According to Deadline's unnamed sources, Sony is in early talks with Amazon to be the SVOD distributor for Mm. Sony's suite of Marvel TV shows, starting with Silk. So, yes, the talks of the Sony Marvel Cinematic Television Universe going to Netflix. Interesting. Cindy Moon made her comic book debut in 2014 as Peter Parker's fellow classmate who received a bite from the same radioactive spider that gave the world Spider-Man. She was gifted with superpowers as well, but unlike Peter, she received formal training on how to use them from a wealthy businessman named Ezekiel Sims. He ended up locking Cindy in a bunker for years to protect her from a vampire group of villains known as the Inheritors. Peter eventually learned of Cindy's existence, freed her, and the two became romantically involved, bonding over their shared abilities. After years of imprisonment, Moon became the vigilante known as Silk, ultimately defeating the Inheritors. Sony has 10 years of Spidey content mapped out. Sequels to Spider-Man Far From Home, Venom, Into the Spider-Verse are all on their way, as are standalone features of Morbius, Craven the Hunter, and possibly Madam Web. A few weeks ago, Olivia Wilde was tapped by the studio to direct a secret Marvel movie likely to be Spider-Woman. But this is an interesting first salvo in this TV show universe. Very, very, very interesting choice. I don't know. Well, Sony already produces the boys for Prime, right? For Prime, Prime, right. Because didn't you say Prime, Amazon was who they were? Uh, Yes, Amazon. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So now they've got Sony's got projects in two different streaming services. Right. And and Amazon is still working on Modoc, I believe. Uh, Some of the other ones are kind of in limbo. Modoc. But uh, but for a while there, they're working on that huge swath of animated ones. They were going to do Ghost Rider. That's been canned. Uh, Hellstrom. They were working on that. I don't know where that's at right now. Because Sony Pictures Hmm. Television is putting out. A lot of content that is going right to streaming. Um, other than Cobra Kai, there's a couple more that I'm blanking out on right Wait. now on Netflix. No, I'm wrong. All that I said there, that was all Hulu. My my brain just woke up and said, no, you're oh, wrong. Damn. Got that. I had to stop before Steve texted you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the uh, but uh, Before we even finish the episode. So, yeah, Amazon. Spider Gwen. I want my Spider Gwen. I, I just find it interesting that they're not going to HBO Max. Well, I mean, Sony's going where the money is, I guess. Because um, didn't didn't 
Amazon pay quite a bit of money to get the boys initially uh, that, to that, Sony? God, I'm, all these goddamn streaming services are mixing it up. I'm surprised it's not going to Disney Plus. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because it's Sony. Right. But, but, they, but they've had the Marvel agreements with Disney in the past for the Spider-Man joinings. Sure, but they're, they're still keeping the MCU Spider-Man separate from their Spider-Verse characters. And that's their way of doing it, by making sure it's not on Disney+. Plus. Which is, so no yeah. one gets confused. It's really kind so. of funny, too, because Spider-Verse comes off of Spider-Man. Yeah. Right. But they're keeping Spider... Well, I mean, they really are trying to make the distinction between Ho- Tom Holland's Spider-Man and him being in the MCU. Productions that they do like Venom and Into the Spider-Verse and all of those as the, what was that weird long oh, name God. that Sony came up with for yeah. the... Chud or something like that. Like or Chode Sony's or Marvel wow. Universe of Cinematic Characters or whatever the fuck yes. it was. That big, long, weird, Sm- like, you gotta be kidding me moment. Like- yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I Skunk. I think this is their way of going. Well, we can't just make movies. We have this license. Let's make money off of it. Because there's there's rumors that Sony Pictures is is gonna be bought out by somebody soon. And if if that actually happens, if that production company is bought, all the mar- rights revert back to Marvel because that's in the original contract. So they Sony. Whoever buys Sony would lose all of those characters. So I, stu- I still Ooh. think that that's a lot of them trying to maximize what they can right now while they can. Would it still go to Amazon? Uh, who knows? <laughs> who Dang. knows? Who knows what, what Marvel let's proper a, wants to do? Come on, gang. Let's get a GoFundMe together. Or and I should let's say. Let's buy Sony <laughs> so we can get that reversion. Because Disney is such a such a complicated company because they more or less let <laughs> Marvel run as its own company but then the higher ups at Disney still say well let's do this this and this and then they do it so yeah it's so execs do yeah nothing too successful that we can't try to stick our dick in it <laughs> <laughs> Stan Sakai's Usagi Yojimbo comic book is coming to television in the form of a CGI animated series entitled Samurai Rabbit, the Usagi Chronicles. Netflix and Gamont are spearheading the project alongside Dark Horse Entertainment, James Wan's Atomic Monster, uh, combining, quote, modern high-tech images with classic Japanese references per Netflix. The show will follow Rabbit Samurai Yuichi descendant of the Miyamoto Usagi in the epic quest to become a true samurai warrior. Quote, he leads a ragtag team of misfit heroes, including a roguish bounty hunter, a cunning ninja, an acrobatic pickpocket, and a faithful pet lizard as he battles depth-changing, depth-charging moles, metal-tipped winged bats, (laughs) and monsters from another dimension. Teases the release. Uh, Sakai, a six-time Eisner Award winner, is attached as an executive producer as well. For almost four decades, the comic has gained a list of accolades, including the Parents' Choice Award, the American Library Association Award, and the Young Adult Library Services Association Award. In addition, it's topped best of lists from Empire, IGN, and Rolling Stone. So uh, so that's coming to Netflix, the Usagi Chronicle, Samurai Rabbit. Uh, I haven't read any of the uh, Sagi Yojimbo comics. I, I've, I know they exist. I've seen oh, the yeah. pictures. Know all about. I remember them. reading a couple of them when I was a kid. Uh, well, I should say when I was in junior high, and then early high school, because a friend of mine 
was really into the Eastman Laird Turtles run and also was into some of the more alternate comics and he yeah. showed me some of those. He's like, well, if you like the Turtle comics, I, I loaned you, you might like this too and handed me a couple Itzagi Ujimbo titles. I, I want to say they were in black and white because I, I remember the original Turtle comics were yes. just black and white and I think some of the original Itzagi Ujimbo ones were too, but uh, they were interesting. They're definitely more adult stories back then, so I'm not sure where they're going with this, whether it's going to be more of a, you know, teen to adult title or... That is the question, and I yeah. I don't know enough about the series itself to know where it's gone over time Yeah, exactly, well. and I don't remember a whole lot of it. I remember they did bring it into the, uh, the, the character into the Turtle TV show, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles TV show for a little while, but... Um, Seems like a good fit. Yeah, that was... Uh, <laughs> Like I, I, it's so funny. I, I barely remember any of those stories. I mean, I remember cells of anime, or not animation, but cells of the comic book. But uh, that's about all I recall of it. Because I mean, that's forty plus years ago. <laughs> that's more best better than I can remember a lot of comics I've read thirty five years <laughs> right? ago. I will say right. That. Uh, this week we lost Sue Nichols Maciorowski. It's the artist responsible for shaping the look and stories of many animated Disney films from the 90s. Oh, uh, yeah. She yeah. was 55. Her first paid animation job was painting cells while still studying at, studying at Cal Arts. She later worked on such animated series as My Little Pony and Muppet Babies before developing the visuals, characters, and stories for several Disney films. She designed the characters and visuals for The Lion King, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Mulan, and Lilo and Stitch. D.B. Weiss and David Beninoff, the duo behind HBO's Game of Thrones adaptations, have officially locked in their first new project under the Netflix mega deal they signed last summer. The company announced that the writing production team will adapt another book series for the streamer. Lucy, how do you how do you say this one? It's C I X I N. She's in Lucian. Yeah, I think it's Lucian. Okay. I mean, I. I yeah, that, this I, I one. That, this one has has got. Don't me don't worry. Uh, Jeff is Jeff is calling up the YouTube video for it right now. <laughs> I'd rather he didn't. It's a sci-fi <laughs> trilogy of the three body, three body problem. problem. So it's yeah. a well-known sci-fi. It's a, it's. Uh, I haven't read it, and dude, it's crazy. It's like an alien first. If I'm remembering right, an alien first contact during the Cultural Revolution or post-Cultural Revolution. I think it's just post. Yeah. Yeah, but but he delves a lot into the Chinese. Uh, cultural revolution, which is right there, is already you're just like wow, that's interesting right, right off the bat. So it's the three books are the Three Body Problem, then it follows with the Dark Forest, and then Death's End. Uh, the show, which is being written and executive produced by Alexandra Wu, who uh, wrote for True Blood and The Terror, uh, will derive its title from the first novel in the series. In terms of story, the books chronicle humanity's first contact with an alien civilization. And uh, the writer is attached as a consulting producer, along with Ken Liu, who wrote the English language versions of the first and third books. Ken, uh, he is a writer in his own right, but he has also been doing uh, translations for uh, for uh, various Chinese properties, getting them introduced into the English language. Okay. Okay. So I had to learn how to pronounce some Chinese words when I was training for the restaurant I worked at. So I was looking oh, at my okay. notes. Gotcha. Um, if I'm right, if you're right, it's gonna be Lou 
L-U essentially is the pronunciation of the first name, the L-I-U. Yeah. And the last would be Stashin. Stashin? Yes, Stashin. 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 Because I said it's basically like the, if you were to pronounce it's backwards, and then the last part is like Sheen, like Charlie Sheen. So All if right. I'm saying it right, based on my notes, Lu Stashin. Stashin. Lu Stashin. I have a lot of language Lu Stashin. All right. So, Lu Stashin. I'm sure somewhere one of my my uh, Chinese coworkers is just like, no, that's not right. Oh, oh, don't worry. Don't worry. No, they'll we, give, we got Professor Biggs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I pronounce know. it wrong, they will give me crap about it tomorrow. I can almost guarantee. Well, oh, there you go. at least by Wednesday when the, <laughs> All right. when they listen to the episode. Anyhow, <laughs> assuming they're still listening to it. Oh, ow. Hey, I don't. I, well, it's not like I haven't it. heard it from a lot of my coworkers in a while since the restaurant's yeah. been closed. That's yeah. It's uh, the. the uh, I believe they call it pinyin. The pinyin phonetization, the English uh, writing of Chinese, is yeah. is very interesting now, especially after after we've had decades of what was called the Wade Giles, which was sort of the uh, phonetization of Cantonese by way of Hong Kong, which is really that's where you get the Peking versus Beijing uh, difference. Yeah, the same city. It's same just city a, just depends on the dynasty that was in charge. Yeah, well, it, 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 that's that's actually dialect pronunciation. Beijing is the Mandarin, and Peking is the uh, Cantonese huh. um, pronunciation. So, I'm learning a lot today. That uh, TMZ. I'm learning all sorts of things. Well, in fact, Mandarin is the primary pr- uh, language now, whereas Cantonese is starting to become more right regional. Well, it 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 be. Because uh, it was centered in Hong Kong, yeah. it was the British Empire and everything, yep. and and that's just going by the wayside. Uh, it's it, it's really fast. It, it's also just really weird too when you think about it, because it's like the dialects are so varied. They literally need translators between dialects, which you you, you tend to think doesn't make any sense, and you know until you realize you like need to translator to talk to someone from say the north carolina appalachian mountains or something <laughs> yeah i have uh, i have a couple of friends um that i worked that i used to work with at my restaurant that are very are completely fluent in both mandarin and cantonese and wow sometimes and i i'm like they've tried wow. to tell me like okay so in cantonese you would say this but in mandarin you would say yeah. this and it's so very different yeah. and even the pronunciations are so different and i'm just sitting there going i'm like Wow, that is a lot to take in. Yeah, dude, but, it's, uh, it's crazy. Yeah. On a side note, I did ask uh, uh, a couple of them about uh, when Wayne is speaking Cantonese in Wayne's world. It's mm. like, how accurate is that? They said whoever taught him taught him phonetically because they actually did a pretty good job. A lot of what he's saying they translated relatively well on screen, but uh, when he's speaking Cantonese, when and uh, the character, and Mike Myers, obviously playing Wayne, is uh, actually doing a pretty good job. So when he <laughs> says "sang," that is actually Cantonese for "excellent" or "great." So I was just like, "Oh, so I can keep doing that then and not feel stupid." He goes, "Yeah, depending on who you say it yeah, to." Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's <laughs> because true. because it doesn't directly translate into Mandarin. So if you're talking to somebody that speaks Mandarin and you say it, they're not going to know what you're talking about. Right. Right. And I'm like, or oh. English for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we remember we talked a little while back about how 
all these great Vegas attraction experiences that hired live actors that you want to go see those as soon yes. as you can when they arrive Uh-oh. because over time they tend to cut out the actors yep. and experience sours for it oh, oh yeah. uh, galaxy's edge cutbacks no there's a new one coming so oh, oh, maybe okay. those who are in the area should hit it while it's happening although it's only happening for a short time and so the team behind crystal maze live are launching a new live action attraction set in the world of judge dread Judge Dread Upright. <laughs> Reading too fast. Judge Dread Uprising, the live experience, is heading to London in spring of 2021. This will be a new multi-level team attraction based on the satirical world of the sci-fi comic book character Judge Dread via 2000 AD. The attraction will be set in Megalopolis Britsit, a post-nuclear and futuristic London with five zones of mental and skill challenges, as well as laser tag combat arena. Here you'll explore in teams of five and over 150 minutes as bandits, mutants, and robots. It's based more on the British sci-fi comic book than, say, the Stallone movie, with its creators working with <laughs> Judge Dredd owners on the concept. The experience is said to be a mix of problem-solving, action combat, live theater, team, and solo play, and you can, in theory, choose your own ending. You enter the action disguised as a convict in a supermax prison, and you can either choose to stand by the law or turn from it. Quote, This new show is insanely exciting, said Tom Leonetti McGuire, founder of the CEO of Little Lion. The experience is... That was weird. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I like totally lost you there yeah, for a i second. know what happened I, I i bumped the thing oh uh, my oh boy me and this board are going rounds today continuing the quote the experience is part comic book part sci-fi film part immersive theater part escape room part action adventure part indoor theme park all wrapped into one this is our second show and i really want us to push the boundaries of what the audiences can expect to explore the space between theater film and reality with uprising we have really achieved that unquote it will feature set des- uh, a quote unquote incredible set design, uh, groundbreaking interactive interactive technology, a cast of crooks, robots, and convicts. And where is this taking place? London, okay. spring nineteen twenty one in Britsit. Yeah. So those uh, those of you who ha- who are in UK, did you or- just say nineteen twenty one? Did I? Yeah. You said spring nineteen twenty one. Yes. Boone. Well, Boone. sorry, you missed it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I'm sitting there and I'm like, wait a minute, Judge Dredd is set in the future. Is this this a steampunk version? Steampunk of Judge Dredd. There it is. Oh my God, TM. Well, if we had access to Judge Dredd, sure, TM. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds cool. Who who are we gonna send to, to take one for the team and go mm, check that out? That's a good question. I don't know. All right. All right. Submit your submit your proposal to comments at Ugly Couch Show. <laughs> Maybe we can uh, help you get there somehow. All right. Y- y- yeah, we'll. Hey, the Give business a, license is on the way, so <laughs> fingers crossed. Wow. That's wow, Jeff a, is... Not, not promising anything, Jeff but keeping fingers shooting crossed. for the stars yes. right out of the gate. Uh, you know well, what? it's 2021. That's that's a, wa- a ways away. That's plenty of All of us do time of the gutters. Dreamers learn to steer by the stars. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so if you, you're in Europe... Uh, 
uh, or especially UK. Well, UK, because, you know, yeah. they're not part of Europe anymore. Right. But I'm saying anybody that's close, closer than us. Right. Well. Who yeah. might be out. And, pla- places and, where, you know, they've kind of got this pandemic a little under control. And, and they, you know, and they'll let you in as opposed to Americans who are not allowed in. <laughs> Anywhere. Yeah. Rightfully so. So. So yeah, so if you if you go, please let us know how it was, uh, and know that I am insanely jealous of you getting to do that if you do. So I just want to let you know, monkeys out there who are across the pond, Crystal yes. Maze. The Crystal Maze Live was the last one that this group did. If you're not familiar with the Crystal Maze, that is a British game show. Uh, it was uh, hosted by ah shoot, what's the guy that created uh, uh, Rocky Horror Show? Oh, oh. God. Uh. Got Richard something or other, right? Yes. So shows from how bad my brain is these days because I used to have that at, at the ready. Yeah. I love uh, that guy. So he used to uh, host this is a very, very active game show. And if those in the U.S., if you haven't seen Crystal Maze. Uh, Richard O'Brien. That's there it. There we go. O'Brien. Yes. If you haven't seen Crystal Maze, go on YouTube and watch episodes of it. It is one of the most fun game shows. And we had nothing like that in America till later on. Uh, like the games like uh, Don't, like we have yeah. now and so on, or uh, frankly, things like Holy Moly, the very physical right. game shows that were more a thing in Japan way back when. Which, by the way, did you watch Holy Moly last week? Yes. Did you see when he went through the windmill, got knocked, but held on and climbed back up? That was fucking amazing. It was amazing. That man must be bruised. Yeah. Because I, I sit there and I'm like, oh, he's in the... Dr- and, oh, wait, he's hanging on. He's climbing back up. Because, <laughs> yeah, both Joe and... Uh, and uh, uh, Oh, I totally blank out on his name now. Rob Riggle? Rob Riggle were just totally impressed. They could... I was like, that's the most amazing thing. I can pull Riggle. I can't until, pull Brian. Until that lady sunk the hole in one right after of it. It was just like made made his whole, yes. his whole acrobatic thing completely moot. If you're not watching Holy Moly, you are losing joy in your life and need to fix it. It's such a fun show. It's such a fun show. And next week's the finale. If I need a quick pick-me-up, pop an episode on and... Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're right. It's, it's, it's just pure joy. It's, it's what, what me and my wife watch when we're like, let's watch something fun and light to balance everything else happening in the world. Yes. The Star Wars Holiday Special is being celebrated in the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special, which heads to Disney Plus this November, 42 years after the original aired on CBS. Directed by Ken Cunningham and written by David Shane, it will take place post-Rise of Skywalker environment in a time-warping all-Lego A Christmas Carol style to its storytelling, (laughs) allowing versions of the characters from throughout the saga's timeline. Quote, it's a celebration of the saga, executive producer Josh Rhymes said. Quote, a lot of characters will be interacting with different characters and perhaps even different versions of themselves at different ages. Unquote. Some of these characters will be voiced by their film actors as they reunite after the events of the saga's finale. A visit to a Jedi temple screws with time and space, which means the heroes have to get back to their present time for a Kishyak Life Day feast. And Rey gets to connect with a younger version of her old master, Luke. Were you trying to say Kashyyyk just now? That's what I said. (laughs) That is exactly what I said, Jeff. That's the part owner of uh, Apple, right? I heard that he was not much of an engineer. He was more of the uh, salesman or... I don't know. (laughs) 
the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special hits Disney Plus on November 17th. So funny. I saw that announcement. I'm like, that's hilarious. Although I almost thought that would go in news you don't give a shit about when I when I when I read it, I was like, if this goes on a show, it'll be in either news you don't give a shit about or Purgatorio. Uh, you know what? It, I, I didn't put it there just because one, if they were just, you know, even if they said, you know what, we're just going to re-air the original Star Wars holiday special, it still would have been a news you don't give a shit about yeah. because that. As bad as it is, it's so bad. It's still a cultural touchstone in the world of Star Wars. It would have been had been cool to do that Lego style, and they are. If you well, haven't seen it, it is available on YouTube. The original Star Wars holiday special. Uh, There's several different versions. Some are better than others, but uh, yeah, this this was the thing that Lucas produced with. Was it ABC? Right. Sounds right. And was so horrified by it, he put it in the archives vowing never to release it again so what's out there is what people either gotten a hold of like the original studio tape and copied it or people that were fortunate enough to have vcrs back yeah. then yeah, it, were able to record off the air he wanted to be the clown that cried of star wars but yeah, it, it got away from him he literally wanted no one to ever see it and it's it's such there's there's history about that production out there but some of the things you'll notice is how different the Wookiees look. And that was the studio getting involved and saying, we need you to kind of soften the look. They look a little too harsh and a little too scary and blah, blah, blah. Just all these little things. And the fact that they got Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, and Mark Hamill to come back and do this thing was just ridiculous. And That's really the only part that's really worthwhile, though. But yeah, it's, it's, it's an awful... Of all, all the strange decisions, and that is yeah. a show filled with strange decisions. Oh, yeah, I mean, and, and the acting is not great no. in it throughout. Of course not. Even by, 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 our, even by our heroes. Right. Uh, but I think the strangest decision of all was to not put any closed captioning on the Wookiees. Yeah. So that the Wookiees are talking to each other in Wookiees or Kashikis or whatever you want to call it. And you have no idea what they're talking about yeah. for, like, a, scenes. Entire yeah, scenes, just yeah. back and forth. Of, or, 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 Which or. is really funny because I was back in the days of uh, um, you got to have them speaking something we can understand. You got to have them something something we can understand. Yeah, they the the they, a lot of they the networks. Yeah, they made they, that demand. It was like yeah. if they're speaking any language other than English, you need to subtitle it, and that yeah. was that was like a rule. Or or get right to it. You know, somebody says something garble, 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 and you're like, no, I'm not going to go in there right now. Yeah, you, right. You you know, but I don't care what you smell. Exactly. You know, but and what was it, with the grandfather on the stupid weird hollow oh, thing? Yeah. The whole like Diane Carroll watching oh, porn. He's yeah. watching yeah. porn. Watching pre-circ, circ, <laughs> sex, oh, circ, hollow. No, that was that, that was that was little. What itchy? I don't know what the kid's name is. You're not gonna. You're you're gonna say itchy was. Uh, and, and chewy, itchy, scratch. Jesus <laughs> uh, Christ! Yeah. Itchy was the one watching the. The acrobats of Cirque du Soleil. The acrobats, the acrobats, right. yeah. It was Grandpa that was watching the well, yeah. Diane Carroll porn. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's weird. It's just weird. It's freaky. With Starship, folks. Right. And not the highlight of the show. <laughs> nope. <laughs> that would be Art Carney or... No, oh, no, 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 Art Carney. Um, um, uh, Harvey Corman. Harvey Corman. Or was it Harvey Corman? Stir, whip, whip, stir, stir, whip. 
uh, I told you the story. I told you the story about the guy. Uh, a guy told at TSR when they were doing uh, Star Wars adaptation stuff. They were like uh, doing this compendium of uh, of uh, Star Wars characters and drawing up stats and everything like that. And there was this one, and I can't remember the character's name, but there was this one character. This guy didn't. Who is this character? I don't understand. I, I'm. And and what is this? What what are the stats I'm drawing up? And this literally is an over the summer project. And this person is working trying to figure out who this character is that they're supposed to be statting and everything. And he said they finally figured it out when one day across the the whole row of cubicles in the TSR working area, he hears B Arthur. I'm statting B Arthur. <laughs> And it was it was her character from the cantina, and she was in the book, and he had to stat her character up. God, all those classic actors that are in this thing: B. Arthur, Art Carney, Harvey Corman. It was a proper Christmas special that you wouldn't find on ABC. They just Made put it, a weird sheen on it. Yeah, oh, a very weird sheen. It, it was even weird for Star Wars. I mean, it it, it went yeah. so far beyond bizarre it, it, and it had just those weird tropes like when uh, the mother Wookiee's trying to make dinner and corman is the cooking show host making the dinner and got the multiple arms going and 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 she can't keep up because it's a typical that's not how you make a dinner you know with those cooking shows you watch it you make your notes and then you make the dinner later you don't make it while you're watching the show because everything is fast but that's not carol burnett enough yes exactly <laughs> and then that <laughs> The weird video effects at the end when the Wookiees are all going into the Life Day celebration. And yeah, all the twisted you, basic video effects that you could do at that time. Yeah, you, and so you, out there. You knew thought that the Force was a strange religion. It's like, did yeah. I just drop acid and not realize it? Yeah, what the fuck really. is going on here? But hey, we got Boba Fett. That's right. That's true. That was the first in first a, appearance, right? Within yeah. that animated short, in a yeah. strangely stylized cartoon. Very yeah. strangely, yeah. Everybody just looks deformed. Yeah, just yeah, very rubbery. Really <laughs> Especially Harrison Ford. Just that weird long yeah. chin. <laughs> just, folks, if you haven't checked it out, just for the hilarious, uh, the hilarity of it, watch it. Just, just don't be expecting anything profound from it because it's <laughs> not even remotely. No. And in fact, you might want to just maybe watch like Red Letter Media watching it. Yeah, I think they covered it in one of their things, and that might be more entertaining because it isn't very entertaining. It's true, on its own, you you almost need guidance. Well, speaking of guidance, we got to figure out how we're going to spend this money, gentlemen. Let's do some red light, green light. shit <laughs> all right guys we got some more pitches across the desk you know we're getting lots of these things a lot of people out of work a lot of people submitting lots of stuff and uh let's face it uh, the money's dwindling people are buying stuff and not like they used to yeah so so we got to make some hard decisions on what we're going to put our money behind if we're going to pick up any of these shows so here we go red light green light here's the first pitch Leventeenth Films has picked up the TV rights to Rodney Barnes and Jason Sean Alexander's best-selling comic book series, Philadelphia. 
Sins of the Father. Leventine will partner with Barnes to produce the series. Launched by Image Comics in November of 2019, the vampire noir follows Baltimore cop Jim Sangster Jr., who must return home to Philadelphia to bury his father, James Sangster Sr., a detective who died investigating a series of mysterious murders connected to a teenage boy, who thus far has eluded capture and only has been seen at night. As Jim Jr. investigates his father's mysterious death, he learns that the teen is not exactly alive and his father is no longer exactly dead. Ooh. Barnes described the story as one, quote, with a political slant as well as a social component that has been growing in his psyche ever since he was eight or nine years old. So there it is. Philadelphia, Sins of the Father. Red light, green light. Sounds a little vampire. It's very vampire. There's no doubt about it. Do we have room for more vampire in our lives, gentlemen? I thought we just got rid of all the vampire shows. Well, no, I, I guess kind of. Because they, yeah, they stopped making Vampire Diaries, right? Yeah. Well, there, there, was a, there was a spinoff of that show that was going on. I don't know if it's still on or not. Yeah, I got a feeling that one's not around. Because the only time I watch CW is when I record my Arrowverse shows. So, so I, I, I tend to fast forward for the commercials for other Arrowverse, or excuse me, other CW shows. So, so what you're saying is say. there's room for this. There you go. Because mm-hmm. the I, only vampire show that's come out recently that I know of is Netflix doing the new version of Bram Stoker's right. Dracula. It might there might be room for it on the CW. Who knows? This is true. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> is there room on the CW? Yeah, sure. You're right. We need more vampire stuff now that it's dried up. It is kind of dry out there in the vampire that, world. That's <laughs> such a brief description though. I'm like it is. I'm having a hard time deciding whether this is something I would red light or green light. Um, I, I would, don't feel like off of that description info. I would go off of the family thing. And yeah. his dad's dead, but he's not, not exactly dead. dead. You know, you know what's happening there. So uh, that right there, um, you know. Well, the freaks. It is kind of harder to know what the larger vampire world is in this world. Yeah. As far as are they, are they feral beasts? Are they, are they ones that are actually secretly puppet mastering the world around us? What kind of vampires are we dealing with here? That 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 is kind of an unanswered question in this. Mm. And that speak to the larger. Where's this right. arc going to end up? This is obviously where we dip our toe, but where's the pool lead? Yeah. That's a tough one. But I will I say, know. I will say, since we are at a world that we don't have much in the way of uh, vampire shows now, I'm kind of willing to give this one a shot. I know there's a lot of vampire shows down the road, so if we can get this right. out fast, we can beat them to the punch before we oh, get strike, inundated. Strike we while the iron is hot. There you go, yeah. Yeah, we want to be first on this with right. the whole vampire thing. Because <laughs> because we because <laughs> we got interview with a vampire coming up. We got another version of Dracula coming up. Oh God, yeah, you're right. So the, the vampire shows are coming. So it's a matter of how fast we can get this. Who out. gets there first? Right. That's right. Who gets to be the Walking Dead? There's is that, really what it there's comes down the to. the Trump uh, World War vampire thing. Sorry. Yeah, losers and suckers. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, sure. Why not? I'll give it a green. Wow, that's, to... that, that argument convinced Jeffrey. <laughs> yes, losers and suckers <laughs> was, the, was the step above. <laughs> that wasn't what did it. <laughs> uh, so green lights across the board. I'm a little surprised, Jeff, because you're usually the first to say yeah, no to a vampire. I know. I'm like, yeah, and I still kind of want to red light it <laughs> just, just based on the fact that there's... 
not that it's just because it's a vampire, but because there's just so little info there. But and vampires, know. I think, is one of those things that will always be with us in one way or another. I am a sucker though for the <laughs> mysteries. <laughs> I see what he did there. Yeah. I'm a sucker for mysteries. So did it again. if know. they're mentioning that it could be, you know, that whole. I've got to discover what the mystery is behind A, B, and C. Holy shit, Todd! I just realized how we get uh, how we get uh, we we bring in uh, Jeff. How time travel? And yes, mysteries. time traveling <laughs> vampires. Time tra- time travel and mysteries, and you've got me. Is that what you think? Well, I'm, for the vampires thing, yeah. you got to have the time traveling vampires. It's not it's not that easy. And not that stupid stupid flashback crap. No, 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 no. This is not that he's really long and he's remembering shit. He's traveling through time. He's got a coffin. And when the coffin hits 88 miles per hour, (laughs) he just goes back. Oh, Kirsten. What? 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 Marty, we got to go back. It's your brood. (laughs) Something's got to be done about your brood. What, did they all become assholes or something? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's why we got to do something about it. All right. So next one, uh, red light, green light, gentlemen. Uh, upgrade. Leah Winnell's Blue Mouse uh, sci-fi film from 2018 is headed oh, to yeah. television. Oh, really? The director co-created the series along with Tim Walsh, uh, who did Treadstone, and both will serve as executive producers with Walsh being the showrunner. Written and directed by Wanell, the Upgrade movie follows Gray Trace, a man left paralyzed by a brutal mugging that resulted in the death of his wife. Resigned to giving up on life, Gray gets a second chance when an experimental chip implant system called STEM not only makes him mobile again, but turns his body into a living weapon. Armed with deadly skills and STEM's voice inside his head, he sets out to avenge his wife's murder. The show, quote, picks up a few years after the events of the film and broadens the universe with an evolved version of STEM and a new host, imagining a world in which the government repurposes STEM to help curb criminal activity, unquote. The writer's room has already commenced for the first season, and Winnell is expected to direct an unknown number of episodes. Uh, the Purge vets, Crystal Ziv Houghton and James Rowland, are also part of the writing team. It's unclear whether this or, or not, this or not will be the sequel project Blum confirmed in 2018, or if a big screen follow-up is also in the works as well. So, hmm. upgrade. I like the, the movie. Do, so, do you think there's show potential in this? I mean, there's the way the movie ended. I think there's more story to tell. Aha. Uh-huh. So, I'm I'm intrigued to see where they go with it because sometimes. A television sequel based on a movie doesn't exactly go the way you think it's going to go. And sometimes it can be good. So I'm willing to at least give it a shot. Yeah. And, and like I said, I really enjoyed the movie. Uh, in fact, it, it ended up being something I wasn't completely expecting. If you haven't seen the. I have upgrade. not. I remember seeing it advertised and stuff, but I hadn't seen it. I, I, I remember not being too interested until I saw that it was Blumhouse, and I was like, yeah, let me mm-hmm. check it out. And it actually surprised me. So, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a green. All right. You know, based on uh, Jeff's green, I'm going to give it a green, too. I haven't seen it, but I like Blumhouse. Right. And it seems like a premise that does have legs. Superhero crime fighter, voice in his head, but could the voice go wrong because now they're just running with the government? Who knows? 
Yeah. This reminds me, Blumhouse's Fantasy Island just hit HBO, and I'm like, I kind of want to watch it just to see what twist they put on it. Yeah, I got no issue with uh, Van- Fantasy Island. That's, Did you see it? No, but I'm go- <laughs> I do want to see it. Uh, One, because so, it's Blumhouse. Yeah. And two, because it's Fantasy Island. I, I yeah. realize they're going to fuck with it a little bit. Right. But I... I- I really like the premise of the original Fantasy Islands. It's it's that whole your wish comes true and it's not everything you wanted it to be. It's yeah. It's the devil's bargain is what it is. Yeah. And I'm I'm always for devil's bargain stories. So yeah. So that's a green light on uh, Fantasy Island. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say green light as well because right. uh, uh, I agree with Jeff. So if it fails, it's his fault. He's a man who knows. Yes. And you're right. If he's wrong, we fire him. There you go. It's that simple. It, you know. This was on you, Jeff. Good luck. That's right. Oh. You know, if, if he didn't learn the lesson from Andy and Matt, he'll learn it now. <laughs> and if it's a hit, then uh, he'll rise to the top of the company, and then he'll have to read these in a strange New York, New Jersey accent. Uh, Wait, aren't I already at the top of the company? Yeah, kind of. Oh. Kind of okay. like. Boy, we got to torpedo this show. <laughs> All right, there's two greens. Let's see what we got here on the next one. I'm not Re- alone at the top, though. No, you're not. <laughs> Brothers in arms. Yep. Until we're fired. Red oh. light, green light. Greg Berlanti, the superpower behind the Arrowverse shows, Riverdale, and Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, is developing a trilogy of horror young adult novels for Warner Brother Television. Uh, they acquired the rights to the Forbidden Game books by L.J. Smith in a competitive situation. Uh, published in 1994, the Forbidden Game trilogy consists of the books The Hunter, The Chase, and The Kill. The story centers around Jenny and her six friends as they enter a Jumanji-like game that drops them into different shadow worlds. Within the game, they must fight off their worst nightmares or die and have their souls imprisoned forever. The stakes are set by a mysterious blue-eyed boy named Julian who can move freely between worlds. Though determined to save herself and her friends, Jenny's loyalties are tested when she falls in love with Julian. Red light, green light for the Forbidden Game. Hmm. Berlanti Productions has been doing a really good job of picking and choosing what they put out there and, you know, I guess promoting it for the right group of viewers. Right. So it's like while it so might the, not the, be for you, there's they do tend to have an audience for whatever they put out. Sure, and this is obviously, I mean, the Blanty verse is the CW verse. Yeah, it's going to be. This sounds like CW father father, whichever way right. throw it. Right, and, and considering the guy has got shows on every network now, and then even on streaming, it's it's pretty it's pretty much a done deal that it's going to have an audience wherever it hits. So I'm you know. Probably not something that I would personally be interested in, but I think that there are people out there that want to see it, so I'm going to say green. But you, Kay? Uh, CW. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is that your answer? Just uh, CW? It's, it's CW, kids, romance, whatever. I will say, it had me until that last sentence. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I love the idea of, I always love that thing, Okay, you were zapped into the game. Dungeons and Dragons, the cartoon, or, right. or whatever. You you're pulled out of here and you you're thrown into this game and you must survive. The gamekeeper, Freddy. It's basically the Freddy thing, right? And and but when he said, but then she detests the thing because she falls in love with her captor, and that's like, whoa, that's so YA. 
Yeah. When I think of YA and the the things that have kind of annoyed me in reading YA, it's that because it's always I the character falls in love with someone they shouldn't. Right. And and that is the thing that that tears apart at their psyche. Well, that's decades what I was, ago. I read. What it. I was talking about when I said that there's an audience for it. I know that's what you meant, <laughs> but I'm getting it on a personal level. Okay. Right. I uh, I read a. Uh, a funny little uh, essay a couple decades ago about f- Twilight and the death of feminism because it was just like this woman was just going this 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 set of books is teaching an awful uh, lesson to young girls and she was just appalled <laughs> by the whole concept um I don't uh, uh, I'm you know fall in love with your captor really it's blue-eyed Julian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I'll see what they do the first season. What is this? TV? What A movie? <laughs> it's TV. We only do TV here. This is um, all TV. Uh, then... Um, I mean, we can always cancel it if it doesn't Reluctant go. Green. <laughs> reluctant Green. You know what? I'm going to go with you on the Reluctant Green, too. Just, uh, as much as that last that last sentence just Dude, irks me. I, seriously, I, I saw something die inside you as you read that <laughs> sentence. I, I shit you not. I was looking at your face, and I saw something happen. <laughs> Within the game, they must fight off their worst nightmares or die and have their souls in prison forever. It's Freddy. It's gr- I love Freddy. So I've loved that in a TV show with thrown but, in the game. But you don't want one of Freddy's victims to fall in love with him while he's torturing him? It would be weird. <laughs> it would be really weird. Although, as was going after the fifth one and the sixth one, I wouldn't be surprised if that somebody went with that. Angle. i got to be honest with you, though. What YA novel isn't weird like that? I mean, they do all tend to have a little bit of a weird twist that we as grown adults are like, what? You, you know what you need in the twist like that. You need the captive to start falling in love with the captor, and the captor be like, "What's wrong with you? Do you see what I'm doing? You and just totally be freaked out and like feel icky and start to question everything, right? You know, they're like upstairs from the dungeon taking their shower, going, "I, I did. I don't know if I want to do this anymore." Like I don't, I don't want your love. I want your terror. That's right. <laughs> don't stop. Don't look at me like that. Stop with the dreamy eyes. You just, re, you just reword the Duran song. I don't want your love. I want your terror. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work cadence wise, but I like where you're thinking. <laughs> All right, let's do one more. Red light, green light, gentlemen. Emmy-winning director John Rennick, and that's the director from the TV show Chernobyl. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is in uh, talks to direct The Magus, an adaptation of John Fowle's cult novel. The TV miniseries is being produced by 1917 production house Neal Street Productions, and by producer Pippa Harris and filmmaker Sam Mendes. The writer is Tom Edge, who wrote the screenplay for the film Judy, in which Renee Zellweger won an Oscar. Edge also worked on several episodes of The Crown. The Magus, published in 1966, is described as follows. A young Englishman, Nicholas Urfe, accepts a teaching position on a remote Greek island in order to escape an unsatisfactory love affair. There, his friendship with a reclusive millionaire evolves into a mysterious and deadly game of violence, seduction, and betrayal. 
As he is drawn deeper into the trickster's psychological traps, Nicholas finds it increasingly difficult to distinguish past from present, fantasy from reality. He becomes a desperate man fighting for his sanity and his very survival. Past from peasant? Uh, present. Sure. <laughs> I haven't read it, so maybe so. I don't know. Uh, yeah, okay. Red, uh, um, uh, what's the good color? Green? Yeah. <laughs> the Magus, 1966 cult novel. Haven't read it. I haven't either. I'm surprised at you. No, you're not. I know. <laughs> it sounds like a very 60s premise, though, with all the angst and drama and shit wrapped into it. Uh, sure, green. I'm going to give it a shot. You want to give this a shot? I mean, it does sound like a lot of, you know, other stories just kind of wrapped together into well, one it's weird amalgam. Yeah, yeah. Say, it's, it's probably one of the original ones of these, right? There you go. So, yeah, sure. Why not? We'll check it out see what happens. Okay. You thinking the same? Yeah. I said you green. Said, you said green already. I said, That's what's right. the good color? I'm, right. I'm, I'm at right. that point. And uh, uh, I don't know on this one. What? I don't know. What do you, what do you, stop with your cynicism. It's, it's not so much the cynicism. It almost harkens back to something that Jeff said and the fact that we have seen this before. Yes, this might be the original, uh, but this has been done many times since. And so even being the original, it's going to feel like an already has been. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but the people behind it. This is true. I mean, the Sam Mendes. That's is, kind of where I mean, because yeah. if, if if the pedigree behind it was not there, I would have definitely been a red light. Because mm-hmm. Noble. as I said, it's yeah, a that's, lot of that's one of the things that caught my ear. You're right. It does have that kind of strong Maybe. sense behind. <clears throat> okay, so and these guys, you you got to think that they're approaching it like this has been done before, so they're thinking of something. They're thinking of something to make it. Make it different. Fine point. And of all these things we've done thus far, it's probably going to be the cheapest to uh, film, aside from having probably to do some of this in Greece. Well, that'll make Jeff happy. Right? So right. it's not like there's some heavy super sci-fi element to it. I don't think it's going to cost as much money as these other ones we've already greenlit. So just on that fact, green light. Well, there you go. It's cheaper. There you go. In fact, we'll pay Sam Mendes more just to make it better. <laughs> 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 attend attend one more um, meeting a month, Sam. Okay, thank you. <laughs> and uh, what's your thirty mile zone? Write to us comments at uglycouchshow dot com. And until next week, I'm Master Torgo, eighties Jeff, Commander K, and we'll talk to you next week in Geek. Yeah, there you go. All right. Wow, we got it. Yeah. We made it through. We did it, and we even we even convinced uh, Todd on something. Did he fumble more or less this week? More. Oh, he Definitely was. more. Okay. He was fumbling Todd. Oh, my word. Master Fumble. That's his That's his new name. Maybe I just mumble need to fumble? increase the size of this font. Maybe that would help. <laughs> oh, fumble, oh. Fumble, Maybe fumble, it's my fumble? eyes. Well, you know, we got broken ribs and, <laughs> and, and small Minor fonts. fracture. We, minor <laughs> fracture. That's... <laughs> That's what they told me. That, that's a you fantastic have a minor fracture of two yeah. ribs. That's, oh, a, okay. that's a great heavy metal band, uh, by Dude, the way. It's, <laughs> it just sounds so one of those, it's, I don't know, heavy metal emo, maybe. <laughs> My inner fracture. <laughs> it does kind of sound like an emo band, doesn't yeah, they, it? <laughs> yes, it does. It's just, oh, it's so poor me, me. <laughs> yeah, it's better than calling yourself the McRibs. Ooh. <laughs>